Good morning. Good to see everybody. I told you, hey, you need to get back to church and bring some friends and all that stuff. Guess what? You did. All right. Now you can't get a parking space. Good job. Right? Uh, well, I, I tell you what, it's so exciting to be with you this morning. We're going to need all of our time uh, in the Word of God. So if you could take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, we can begin. Uh, and if you need any uh, seats, obviously there's some open around there, and there's also some open in the front row. I'd love to see you up here. You can just come on up and hang out with me right over here. All right, here we go. We are in 2017. The year of purpose, the year of action, the year of doing stuff, right? And we are also in part two of our Purposeful Christianity series where we're talking about if that is true, what do we do, right? And so we'll say it again because we're going to do that one more time in the service. If that is true... What do we do? That's the idea. We're going to talk about putting faith into action. And there's certain things that we need to do because there is a lifestyle attached to Christianity. And so I want to remind you on some basic pieces as I lead into the fill in the blank, which is we were designed with two purposes, at least. Number one is a relationship with our creator, God, that everything that we must do must be attached to that. And the second one is that we were designed to bring him glory. So everything that we do needs to be attached to that. If we are missing on either one of those pieces, we're going to have a void in our soul. We're going to have some emptiness and it's not going to feel right. It's not going to feel like we are living out our potential or our purpose. If you have some gaps, there might be those areas that you need to look at first before you look anywhere else. Now, I guess I would say if we truly are designed for relationship with God and to glorify his name, if that is true. Oh, four of you got it. I'm sorry. Let's, let's just back it up. Here, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I'll give you another shot. If indeed we are built to have a relationship with God and to glorify his name, if that is true. Yeah, all right, there we go. You got it. Okay, what do we do? We love God and do things to honor his name. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, our purpose is to go out and do God stuff in the world. Now we talked about the blessed concept where we need to go out and bless other people that God blessed us, that we might be a blessing to others. And I'm going to continue to give you different practical pieces that we can put into play. But I do want to say this good works, good works means any action that truly honors God. So what's in that category? Well, there's a ton of stuff. Any action that truly honors God is classified as a good work. It's what you were built to do. But if all that can be legit, we got to pick and choose because you can't do it all. One thing I want to guard against is that some of us sometimes in churchianity, right, which it's Christianity, but church culture kind of mushed together. It lends itself to workaholism. 
It lends us to getting burned out. Why? Because we're looking outside and saying, what good things can we do? That's a terrible question to ask. Why? Because you'll never stop. When is it okay to just call it for a day? Well, uh, you've been loved enough. Sorry, you're going to have to be hated now. Right? When are you going to see a need and just kind of go, well, I don't want to do that anymore. If your heart is soft towards people, if your, if your heart is soft towards the Lord, then you're going to want to keep doing it. If it brings benefit, if it brings blessing, if it brings love onto somebody else, how do you turn that spout off? Because it's not simply doing good things. It's doing good things that God wants you to do. Remember, if God asks you to do 80% and you do 100%, that's 20% disobedience. Success is obedience to the Lord, nothing more. There are certain good things, even great things you must never do because God has that for somebody else. When we spend all of our time doing things that are a good idea in our minds, we burn out and don't have any energy for the things that God really asked us to do. I think that the massive rates and statistics of burned out Christians demonstrates that we don't understand this concept because we keep thinking that more is better more is not better obedient is better and i really feel like the lord is saying hey hun you're so thrashed you're so exhausted you're so running on empty i didn't ask you to do any of that stuff what are you doing I actually put a pattern and a rhythm into your life where I wanted you to do this piece and then I wanted you to pull back and mellow out. And then I wanted you to do this piece and then I wanted you to rest in me. And then I wanted you to do this piece but allow that piece to be done by that person. It's almost like we're a dog with a bone, man. We can't seem to let it go. It's like we keep going, 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 going. And it's like the church separates into two camps, the apathetic that don't do anything and then the overcommitted that burn out. Well, obviously that's not sustainable. So what we need to do is make sure we are tracking at all times on what does God want. And the reason that's so important because he's the only one who knows what's good and perfect and what will truly advance his kingdom. Yeah. We don't know that. So we always need to check in with him. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. His will is what we want. His will is what we want. Uh, If we dug down super deep, I can tell you what you really want is probably not what you want. You know what I'm saying? It's your will is certainly not what we want. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what your will is, but it probably means better for you and less for somebody else. We need to make sure that we are at all times tracking on what does God want. To discern the will of God is what we are going to be talking about this morning. And I hope that is valuable to you. We know that Paul the Apostle and Timothy, his protege, they wrote a letter to the Colossians and they began to talk about things that they needed to be aware of. But he begins by praising them. I love that. He begins by saying, hey, guys. You're a brand new church. Man, when you heard the gospel, you got so fired up. You let it soak into you. You were transformed by it. Your faith, hope, love lit a fire. And man, you love everybody so intensely. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited about you. I can't wait to see what God's doing in you. And now that you're alive in him and on fire, I really need to be praying for you. And that's where we pick it up. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9? 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. It, it begins like this. He said, and so from the day we heard about your salvation, your faith, your hope, your love, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, for a lot of us, we have this idea that the whole idea of Christianity is to get people to heaven. That is not correct. The whole idea of Christianity is to get people connected to God. The whole idea of missions is to spread worship of God throughout the world. We, we keep missing a lot of what we're doing. And that's why I said we were built for a purpose to be connected with our creator and to live for his glory. So every activity the church should ever do is to advance those two things. The love of God and relationship and what the glorification of his name. All right. So that's kind of what we do. But do you understand that things are not easy down here? That we think that once we get saved, everything's cool. Paul said, once you got saved, then I really ramped up the prayer. Why? Because the Bible says we have three enemies. Three enemies, what are they? None of them are people, right? You got to lock that in your theology. The world, the flesh, the devil, yeah? The world, the flesh, the devil. What do I mean by the world? Here's my definition for it. Cultural systems that rob us of our purpose in Christ. What do I mean? Anything in society that's pulling you away from God, that is what the Bible defines as the world. It could be an ism, right? It could be an ideology. It could be, you know, humanism. And, and it could be whatever system out there of advertising that's pulling you away. Or it's, it's a system of belief that says there is no God. That kind of stuff. So whatever the world has to offer that is competing with God's way is the world. That's number one. We got an enemy there. But we also realize that even if we were on a deserted island, we're still messed up, right? Because we're our own worst enemy. We bring all the dysfunction to the island. It's not like we can't blame it on anybody else, man. Our heads are all twisted. So what's going on inside? Why do we have such a war inside? Why do we have so much turmoil inside? Because the flesh is warring with the spirit. The flesh I define as this internal struggles that disrupt and distort our identity in Christ. Y'all tracking on that? Whatever is inside that is messing with who God made you, anything that is warring against what God wants you to become, that would be defined as the flesh. So we have enemies, the world, the flesh, but let us not be silly. There is a personal evil. That is the devil. If you don't believe in the devil, you ain't read the Bible. If you don't believe in the enemy, man, you are going to get blindsided. He can play you easy. There is a personal evil in this world. Now, I defined it as this, a real personal evil that seeks to distract and destroy us in any way possible. Satan wants to destroy you, but the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, is not going to let that happen. So what does he need to do? He needs to distract you. Why? Because a distracted Christian is as good as a destroyed one. You're not doing anything anyway, right? So he seeks to nullify us. So we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. If indeed we have terrible enemies that are warring on the Christian person, if that is true, yes, okay, good. We pray and we pray a lot. 
What I want to get into this morning is the basics of prayer. I'm going to scratch the surface and go down a couple rabbit trails, stuff like that. We're not going to be able to do the whole breadth of prayer in one short message. I just want to get into the basics of it. So in essence, in its simplest form, prayer is two things. It's communication and connection. Communication and connection. What do I mean by communication? I mean communication that draws us deeper with the Father and communication that in turn changes us and transforms us in the process. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Communication is bonding. Communication is connective. When you spend time in prayer, it is less about results and more about community. And what that means is, is that there is no wasted prayer time. See, too many of us, we, we measure our prayer lives by what were the results? What was the outcome? I don't think that that's appropriate because one of the biggest reasons of all prayer is to connect. I think there's times that I need to call a break in our day with Susie and we talk and just have coffee. It's not that I have to have the information. It's that we need the relational connection. I mean, y'all have heard this stuff and they've been saying it for decades. The key to a good marriage is good communication, right? Because we know that if there's a communication breakdown, the relationship breaks down. It's the same thing with God. If there's no communication, there's no relationship. Prayer is primarily a bonding agent and a connection agent with the heavenly father. So whenever you pray, even if you don't get what you prayed for, that's not a waste. That's kind of the point, right? Because you're going deeper with the father and you're being transformed in the process. There is a reason why the penal system uses solitary confinement to bring about change. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In other words, if you get in trouble and you're put in the hole or you're getting into trouble and you're put into solitary confinement, the point is to undo you. That's what solitary confinement is about. Because when we communicate, we begin to make sense because communication involves community. Without community, we start to not know what we are, who we are, what we're doing, what we believe. We start to become undone. It's the very reason why Satan seeks to isolate us because he can undo us and rebuild us in a dysfunctional way. So what do we need to be healthy? But constant communication with our father. But it's not just communication. God has designed a system whereby prayer is also connection to bring the resources of heaven down here on earth. Now, this is the part that maybe some of you have a little less training in. Maybe if you came from a a conservative background or high church background, that the idea is, is that God has a lot for his kids and we need to be able to access that. And one of the primary conduits of God's resources in heaven coming down to earth is prayer. So it's not just communication. There actually is an impact outside Because it connects us with resources to enforce God's will here in the world. Y'all tracking with me? Other than the three people that said amen. Anybody else? All right, good, good, good. But I appreciate that, Brian. Thank you very much. Okay, here we go. This This is a great quote. This is by William Barclay. I love this. Talking about God's will. 
He said, we are trying not so much to make God listen to us as to make ourselves listen to him. We're, we're not trying to persuade God to do what we want, but to find out what he wants us to do. And this is, this is great. Listen to this. It so often happens that in prayer, we are really saying your will be changed. <laughs> Y'all got that? That's rich. When we ought to be saying your will be done. The first objective of prayer is not so much to speak to God as to listen to him. Wow. Man, if we listen, he is the one that knows what needs to get done and how to do it. We got to be listening a lot more than we're talking, right? But for a lot of us, we don't know how to hear the voice of God. We don't know how to discern that God is speaking to us. So we assume it's a, what, an exercise in futility. And we're just sitting there all by ourselves in the dark and nothing's going on. And we're like, man, why would I stop and pause in my prayer to listen when nothing's happening? So we just keep talking. Something doesn't sound right about that. So Paul said, man, ever since we learned about you getting fired up in the Lord, man, we have not stopped praying for you. You became a Christian. We prayed even more. What did he pray for? Take a look at his prayer. Verse nine, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. All that stuff in Greek means consumed by knowing deeply and experiencing personally God's will in all things. We have to know God's will. All right, so let's talk about prayer for a moment. If you follow me around or maybe some of the other folks in this room, and I'll get you in a moment to to share with me whether or not you do this, you'll notice that my prayers morph and they change depending on the situation. So sometimes I petition or I ask or I request from the Father things. And there's other times when I go into much more of a directive mode or a commanding mode in my prayer. So, for example, it would sound something like this. Let's say uh, a man named John comes to me and he says, Pastor Lance, I want to have you pray because I have cancer. This is something that happens quite a bit. I, I hate cancer. And so... Uh, I used to joke with a friend of mine that I wanted to put up signs all over this place that said cancer-free environment, right? Man, I would love to just pray and have the Lord move so powerfully that we have a cancer-free environment. I hate that thing, right? I hate cancer. So let's say John comes to me, and I'm super passionate about that, and he says, Pastor, I'm hurting. I got stage four cancer. Here's how you'll hear me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you love us. We know that your ways are right and good. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this process. If we have resisted you in any way, we don't want to do that. We want you to be here to do what you do best. And so, God, would you give us wisdom to know how to pray? But the authority that you've given us, Lord, I want to exercise right now. That in the name of Jesus Christ, cancer be gone. Submit to the Lord's will. Align with his purposes. You are no longer allowed here. You got to go. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when you hear that, some of you are kind of like, all right, I was cool with you at the beginning. And then you got all weird on me. You all of a sudden started going to this little commanding thing. Who are you commanding? What is going on there? Let me give you a quick test on, on where we shift. You always petition if there's something more you need from God. 
right? If it's on his team, if it's in his responsibility, if it is his stewardship, you ask why? Because he has access to stuff you don't have access to. He knows stuff you don't even know. So as long as he still has stuff that he needs to bring to the table, you ask, but what about when it's your turn? What about when he's done his part and now it's your turn to do something? Do you ask again or do you already know the answer? Okay, so let me get into this a little bit and help you understand. Here's kind of how I view it. Number one, if it's still about God's stewardship, then we ask. So, for example, there's a whole bunch of prayers of Jesus recorded in the Bible. And a lot of them are asking prayers. And usually what he's asking for is clarity. Why? Because faith comes from revelation. In other words, Jesus wanted to know what the Father wanted. Once he knows what he wants, he can go out in confidence, right? So whenever he was waiting on something that the father still had that he didn't have, he asked for it. So in the high priestly prayer in John, right? In the book of John, the high priestly prayer, he starts saying, Father, only you can bring about the unity. Only you can bring about that transformation. So I'm, li- I'm looking to you. But here's what's super weird about it. Every time Christ healed almost 100%, he never requested anything. He commanded it to be true. All right, we're going we're gonna to get into that for a moment. L- let me talk about this whole idea of stewardship and responsibility. Because this is, I think, where we, we get a little bit off. All right? It's not what God said, it's what God's saying. It's not what God said, it's what God's saying. Now, I've shared this story with you before, but I think it's awesome, and I didn't come up with it so I can brag about it, right? Uh, Another pastor did, and it's awesome. He said, if Abraham would have done what God said, Isaac should be dead, right? Because was it not clear? Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. That part was pretty clear, yeah? It was so clear that he takes his only son, only promised son, goes up on a mountain with sacrifice stuff, and he's ready to kill his kid. That's pretty clear. You better be pretty clear on that one, yeah? He gets up there, and that's what God had said. Had he stopped listening, he would have carried out the old information. It's not about what God said. It's about what God is saying. What does that mean? It means that Abraham at all times was listening still. Why? What was the fresh message that God had? Stop. Don't you follow through on that. I needed you to do it up to this point, And now I'm going to redirect you because I have a lamb sacrifice for you. And he was going to reveal something big. If he would have gone off only old information, he would not have known what God was still saying. There are a lot of us that default back to a lazy Christianity by saying, well, it's not in the Bible. Do you really think that God contained everything that he's going to say to his kids in one book? Are you kidding me? Come on. Now you're going, well, it doesn't contradict. Nobody said it contradicts. The coolest thing about the Bible and discerning the will of God is we have some stuff, meaning the Bible, that's legit and locked down and we can put everything against it. This church is scripture soaked and spirit led for a reason. Why? Because you got to know this to highlight and put alarms in your head about what God likes and what God doesn't like. This reveals his nature. This reveals his will. And when you know more of the word of God, the more you can discern how God is communicating right now. 
It not only puts in parameters, but it brings depth and understanding. So we have to know the Bible backwards and forwards and use that as a test for anything else that we are trying to discern God to say. So I have a huge high value of scripture, but I'm not foolish enough to think that once God finished talking with John, everything stopped. And then God's like, I got nothing else to say. Drop the mic. I'm out. And he's gone. I don't think that's true. I think that God still loves his kids and he's still communicating to us all the time. So how does he do that? And how do we discern that? Well, that's what we're going to continue to talk about. But here's what also is interesting. If it's about God's stewardship, we ask. If it's about our stewardship, we command. Now, let me tell you a couple things on why that is. But first of all, there's a caveat. We are never commanding God. Are we clear? We are never commanding God. God is God. We are not. So whatever you hear me say, you're not going to hear me say that. You don't tell God what to do. That's not the point. What commanding is, is you're telling the world what God said. You're simply an ambassador or representative saying, my dad said this and my dad's in charge. Now, when you hear me pray over that man's cancer and all of a sudden I began to speak to it and you're like, that's dumb. You can't speak to cancer. Cancer doesn't have a brain, blah, 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 blah. Jesus talked to wind and waves. Y'all remember that? And he said to it, be calm. Who's he talking to? Right? Something was going on. He's talking to somebody. So the whole point was he was carrying out his father's will. He wasn't telling the father what to do. He was telling the world what to do. On behalf of his father. All right, so let's keep getting into this. Let's talk about stewardship and responsibility. When God made the Garden of Eden and put Adam and Eve in it, he gave them some instructions, right? He gave them a stewardship to take care of their world. All they knew was the garden. He told them, I want it here in this garden like it is in heaven, meaning how I want it. So you need to do whatever you need to do, which is be fruitful and multiply. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to take care of the animals. I want you to make sure that my garden is tended. That is your job. I'm out. I'm not doing that part. That's your part. God didn't rake leaves. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why? It's not his role. I gave you a rake, gave you a tree. You rake the leaves. Don't keep asking me to rake the leaves. I'm not raking leaves. You do your job. I did my job. My job's way more important than your job. So if you could just rake the leaves, that would be awesome. God did not trim the plants. Why? Because it's not appropriate. He built the world so they could interact with it. So their job was to carry out his will on earth, right? So what went wrong? I don't know how long Adam and Eve were around before the whole serpent thing and Satan and all that stuff. I have no idea how long. The Bible doesn't tell us but it sure seems like we blew it pretty early on. The authority and ownership of the garden, Adam and Eve handed over to the enemy. Why? Because they said, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do it my way. The minute you step out of obedience, you're giving access over to the enemy. They handed over the world's dominion to Satan. How do we know that? Jesus was tempted in the desert. You remember that story? For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is tempted in the desert. One of those temptations says what? I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down to me. How can he offer that if he doesn't have that? 
If Jesus would have been like, well, dude, you ain't got that in the first place. That ain't a temptation. He didn't. That was a legit temptation. He said, I will give you authority and dominion over this world without the cross. You just got to bow down to me. Jesus said, that's never going to happen. I will go through the cross to the freedom of my people. Remember? Why is that so important? Because Satan was called the prince of the power of the air. He was called the prince of this world. He ran the world for those thousands of years before the cross. Why? Because the cross changed everything. Do you remember what happened on the cross? Jesus beat down the enemy and took back control and said, now my family is in charge. Amen? This is what we need to understand, that he reversed the curse, is that before Adam and Eve had the freedom and authority and power to subdue the world, and they lost it, they handed it over, and then Jesus went and got it back and said, handed it back to his kids and said, kids, make it here on earth as it is in heaven. You carry out my will. You know I'm behind you. I got your power. I'm ready to roll. I need you to carry out and get this thing right. So we then launch out. What happens? Jesus sends out the 12. How does he send out the 12? I want you to go out and preach the gospel. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to heal people. What was his point? Get out there and do something. Make it here on earth like it is in heaven, right? That was the challenge. They went out with confidence because they knew clearly what they were supposed to be doing. When they got the revelation, they got the faith and the confidence to go out and do it. You go, then why is everything so hard? Why does it seem like when we pray about some stuff that we know is God's will, how come it doesn't happen? Well, sometimes we got God's will wrong. Sometimes you're praying about stuff and God's like, ooh, no. (laughs) That's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. There are other times when you meet resistance. Let me give you an example. The disciples... We're hanging back while Jesus takes three of them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember this story? It was Peter, James, and John. They go away. All the rest of the team is hanging out at the bottom of the mountain. Some dad brings a demon-possessed boy to him. Do you remember this story? And he's just flipping out. By the time Jesus comes back, they're all in an argument. The man says, he said, I brought my son to your disciples to cast out this demon. What does he say? But they could not. Why is that significant? Was it not God's will? Hmm. Here's what's interesting. They were already given the authority to do that. Right? Didn't he say, 12, you go out there and cast out demons in my name. He already gave them the authority. Then what happened? They hit resistance. Why is there resistance? Because Satan's not cool with going away quietly. Jesus said, oh, you wicked generation. All right. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. You guys hit a resistance you weren't ready for. We weren't training for that. All right, here we go. And he goes in and finishes the job. All I'm trying to tell you is that prayer is complicated because of a variety of things. But we pray much more confident when we know the will of God. So don't we need to know the will of God? That is the utmost importance. All right, let's keep moving forward. Last piece on this is, do you remember that whenever Jesus healed, he didn't ask, he just commanded? I I have a hard time thinking of one example. There's possibly one in my mind, but pretty much 99% of the time, Jesus didn't ask for anything, he just commanded. Do you realize that the apostles did the same thing? So let's use the story of Peter and John going to the temple one day. Do you remember that? 
They're going up to the temple and there's a paralyzed guy at the door. This is fascinating. What did they, what did they say? Peter, he, the guy asked them for money and Peter said, what? Silver or gold? I don't have. I don't have any cash, dude. I'm out. I only use debit cards. Do you remember that? Silver or gold I do not have, but what was the next line? But what I have, I give you. What do you mean what you got? What you got? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You remember that? There was a command, get up. Notice there was no stop and Lord, Heavenly Father, will you hear the, get it done. If I give my daughter five dollars because she wants to go down to the corner store with her friend and get a drink and i give her the five dollars and then she says dad can you give me five dollars to go get a drink and i said i already gave you five dollars she said dad can i have five dollars to give me a drink and i said i already gave you five dollars so dad give me five dollars that's christianity for a lot of us we keep asking god for the same stuff same stuff same stuff same stuff and he's like dude i gave it to you how about you do something now right Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Command, boom, miracle. Here's what's fascinating. Notice what he says later. When he does that, everyone's jaw drops. Dang, dude, you just healed a guy. And they're all looking at him like he's a god. Do you remember what he had to say? You all are staring at us. Why are you looking at us as if our power healed this man? It was not our power. It was not our holiness on why this guy is healed. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man is healed. Quit looking at me. You need to look through me to the source. You need to, you need to realize I'm simply a conduit. I'm simply a storehouse. I don't have anything inherently in me. It's all God. All glory has to go back. So whenever we move in God's behalf, you don't steal the glory of God. It is always God's power, not ours. Amen? All right, let's keep moving forward. That's called a tangent. (laughs) We need to know the will of God fully. We need to know the will of God fully. As long as we are guessing at God's will, we are operating in hope, not faith. Hope is sweet, but faith is strong. When you go into any environment and you don't know what God's will is, you're kind of flying blind. You're hoping a lot. Oh, I sure hope this works. (laughs) Man, I sure hope this is a good idea. Man, I sure hope I should teach this message. Man, I sure hope I should say this. Man, I sure hope that. When you are operating in hope, it's cute. It's just less effective. Faith is confidence in who told you and what they told you. That's when faith starts. So if you don't know what God wants, you're not operating in faith. You're operating in hope. So we need to be able to hear God and know what he wants so that we can align with him and be obedient to what he said. Paul said, I want you to know the fullness of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding it. And all wisdom and understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's something I want to just highlight. There are a lot of us that think that there is the weird supernatural spiritual stuff and then there's the practical wisdom. That's foolishness. They're both God. You're not as smart as you think you are. I I just need that to soak into your theology. Because here's what we do. I don't need any of that weird spiritual stuff. I have practical wisdom. You don't have anything. You don't have until God gives you. 
Every bit of your practical wisdom where you look and you go, well, it's obvious, blah, blah, blah. That's only because God let you know that. We keep trying to separate out faith and reason. All of it's from God, right? So sometimes we need to lean into what the Holy Spirit's trying to get our attention about. And sometimes we need to lean into what the Holy Spirit's teaching about inside. That it seems obvious to you. You're using your brain. You're thinking through things. You're processing. That's still supernatural. You are operating. Why do you have the wisdom you have? I believe, and it's my conviction, that in the Old Testament, one of the primary roles that the Holy Spirit plays is the personification of wisdom. You go into the Old Testament, you're reading about wisdom. You need to seek after wisdom. You need to call after wisdom. You need to chase after wisdom. You've got to have wisdom in your life. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. All wisdom comes from God. So if you go through life, you need to use both. You're listening to the Lord and you're using what he already gave you. If he gave you wisdom, use it. That honors the Lord, right? We don't shut off our brains. You use your brain. That's important. He said, man, I want you to have the fullness of God's will so as to walk in a lifestyle in a manner worthy of the Lord. Are you living a life that honors the Lord? After all that he's done, are you living a life that honors the Lord? Are you doing stuff in Christianity just to make your father smile? Do you know how many things my daughters do just to make me smile? Hundreds of things. They're not doing it to try to earn my love. They already have my love. They're just doing it to make me smile because they love me. Our Christianity should not be a practical business contract, right? It should be a, I love you, Dad, and watch what I'm doing now. Hmm. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. Listen to this. The Bible says that God created us, knit us together in our mother's womb, womb, that he lavished love on us while we were still unaware at best and antagonistic at worst. While we resisted, he was patient and he continued to love. He wooed us and when we responded with a cry for help, he was there. He rescued us. He adopted us into his family He forgave us of our sins and poured out his grace upon us so that we would be perfectly clean. Then he came to live in our hearts as the person of the Holy Spirit who lives constantly caring for us, guiding us, protecting us, providing for us, and revealing what we need to do. If that is true, what do we do? We live lives to please him in everything we do. Verse 10. And I'm praying that you are bearing fruit in every good work. God enables what God designs. And he's really good at his job. And I pray that you are increasing in the knowledge of God over and over and over. All right. So how do we know what God wants? How do we know if he's talking to us? How do we process whether or not he may be speaking to us. Does he speak through his word? Absolutely. Does he speak through messages? Absolutely. Does he speak through our friends? Absolutely. But I want to give you a principle that we are designing out and we are, uh, we borrowed it from somebody else, but we are rolling it out this fall as part of our discipleship concept. 
in our missional communities. And I want to give you a six-step process by which to discern what God may be doing in your life. If you take notes, I need you to take notes on this real quick as we close out. Remember, the ways to know God's will are to read it and to experience it. To read it and experience it. You can't have one without the other. You got to have both. You got to keep walking with God. Don't only go off old information. God's still whispering your name. What we refer to this as is the transformation circle. And here's why. If you can picture a circle that as you're going through your life on a straight line trajectory, you're just going along and all of a sudden something happens that disrupts your life or catches your attention if you're paying attention. Something happens and you go, have, you have a choice. Am I going to hear God speak into the situation or am I going to ignore him and keep moving? If you hear God, you then lock into a circle and go all the way around it. If you are transformed by God, you come out in a different trajectory. Do you understand what I'm saying? Call it the transformation circle. Let me give you those steps because it's going to answer the two most important questions. What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? Number one, observe, write that down, observe. The Bible says that we need to be alert. Are you paying attention when God's trying to talk to you? Something happens in your life. It could be good, could be bad, anything, but are you paying attention? Does it seem like God is speaking into something? Does it seem like he's doing something? Let's say you meet a new person. God, why is this person a new friend of mine? This is a new thing in my life. I wonder what you're doing here. Maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe you lose your job. And then you go, man, that was a significant impact. This is kind of a moment. I wonder what God's doing. You got to pay attention. So you observe and answer the question, what happened? And you don't answer it with self-condemnation. Just be honest about what's going on, right? So for example, sometimes you lose your job and your automatic response is my life fell apart. No, you lost your job. Your life didn't fall apart. Stop being dramatic. You lost your job. All right. What's the second step? Reflect. Reflect. We do not spend very much time reflecting as a culture. That's why we miss a lot of what God's trying to say to us. We need times of reflection, what you may call that meditation, not in a weird way, but in just a, hmm, let me think about that thing, right? Reflect. What does that mean? Why is this catching my attention? What's going on? What could God possibly be doing? Once again, we tend to lean into the, oh, everything's terrible. Everything's dramatic. Okay, stop. What do you think God's doing? Why is he getting your attention? Number three, discuss. Discuss. You have to bring it into community. Why? Because in community, when you have safe and wise people to talk to, they help you sort it out. For example, let's say you have this dream, right? So you have some experience. You're like, man, that was a weird dream. Normally I, I have all these regular dreams. Now I got a weird dream. A dream was, is that my uncle who I totally loved, but I ended up having a fight with him before he died. So he's been dead. He came to me and he was like, Luke, right? He was, he was talking to me and he was like, you must come to me, come to me. Right. And he was like, Dude, he's trying to pull me into the grave. And I was like, dude, that was huge, man. I think that was a God thing. Well, that's why you got to bring it into community. Why? Because then the rest of us are going to go, so what do you think God's saying? God's saying, I got to die now. <laughs> no, it's not what God is saying. All right, maybe he's saying that, that like my uncle just hates me now. No, I don't think that's what God's saying. Maybe he's saying that God's like, I can no longer use you. You are condemned. Hold on, dude. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop. 
You're getting dramatic and you're getting way off base. I'm just going to put this out to you and tell me how you think about this. Maybe it's possible that God's saying you never fully process through your uncle's death and he doesn't want you to be burdened by it anymore. Oh yeah, that's probably better. Yeah, 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 it actually is. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. So once again, we observe, we reflect, then what? We discuss. Then you turn the corner, you got to make a plan. So put plan there. Number four is plan because we've already discerned what God may be saying. Now, what are we going to do about it? Let's come out the other side of the circle. So as we turn that corner, we ask the question, what's our plan? What's the plan going to be? Okay, you got a creepy dream about your uncle. Now you know that God may be saying, dude, you got to let some stuff go. You need to understand that your uncle's with me. He's safe. We're okay. There's no condemnation, brother. You got to let that stuff go. What's your plan to do that? Well, I got to talk it out a little bit. All right, that's good. Then what else are you going to do? Well, I'm going to soak in God's word a little bit about my identity. Oh yeah, that's good. Okay, what else are you going to do? Well, at some point, I just have to pray release. Say, God, he's in your hands. All right, cool. Maybe you got to talk to your, your mom because there was stuff going on with your uncle that you never really talked to her about. All right, that's practical. What's the next one? Account. Accountability. Why? Because you're going to have this super cool plan, and then ultimately they're going to come to you next week and go, dude, you're still bummed out about this stuff. What's going on? Oh, man, I can't shake it. Did you do anything about it? No. Well, that's why you're still wrestling with it. You need a friend that would be able to help you move forward. Hey, buddy, all that stuff that we put in that plan was super healthy. I think you need to follow through. What's the last one? Act. Do it, (laughs) right? We got to do something. All these good intentions don't matter unless we act on it. This is the year of doing stuff. So here's the whole point of a transformation circle. You're going through your day. Something happens. You spin through a cycle and you come out a transformed person. Because you allowed God to speak into your situation. Y'all following me? Can I have the prayer team come on up here? It is so important that we don't miss the voice of the Lord. I know that a lot of us are hoping it's dramatic and that God will speak in a British accent and, and you know all these things. The reality is, is it's much more subtle and personal than that. He's not going to talk to all of us in the same way, the same way a good dad doesn't talk to all his kids in the same way. Sometimes he jokes and teases with some of us. Sometimes he's very stoic and serious with others of us. But we can't miss the voice of the Lord. We can't miss the leading of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? We put it through a process. Put it through a process. Jesus, where are you at? God, what are you saying? What am I going to do about it? Amen? I'm going to pray that this prayer team is anointed to process like that just simply through prayer. They're not here to give counsel and wisdom and advice. They probably don't have time for that. But here's what they are here for as God's representatives. That during this message, God may have said, you know what's interesting? I just highlighted something that happened to you yesterday. You haven't reflected on it. You haven't prayed through it. I just pray that this altar would be opened up and anointed, that you would come up and say, here's what's going on in my life. I don't understand it fully. Would you just pray through it with me? Just as simple as that. May each one of them be anointed to be able to say, I don't have all your answers, but I know Jesus and he does. And they just pray for you. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your glorious wisdom. 
Holy Spirit, we shortchange you and keep thinking that we're doing everything on our own. And that's not true. May you be glorified. We acknowledge right now with a moment of clarity how much you've given us, how much you speak to us, how much you encourage us, how much you affirm us, how much you guide and direct us. Lord, your word says, Jesus said that you were going to come, Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth, to really open up and break apart everything that Jesus said. So, Holy Spirit, we are reliant on you for wisdom. Your word says that we can ask for wisdom if we lack it and you would give it to us. You said in your word that you don't call us servants as much as you call us friends, Jesus, because you share with us what your father's doing. You want us to know your will. So we're going to say that in this moment, we're super motivated. We want to know what you want so we can do that. May you be glorified in our obedience. May you be glorified in our seeking of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. The altar's open.